Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. We're in this series called Formed. And the idea of what we're looking at is, are we aware of the things that are forming us? Everything we listen to, everything we pursue, everything we engage ourselves into is having an impact on the person we're becoming. And Christianity is not about a destination. The gospel is not about a destination. Jesus came and he died for our sins so that we might come to God. And the calling of God is to a new life, not simply just a new place. And I think we miss that. Christianity is about a new life with God. And a few weeks ago, last uh, we had our our area director last week. And if you remember, if we can rewind two weeks ago, we did hospitality. And then three weeks ago, you guys are following me. We did the difference between trying and training. That the Christian life is not about trying harder. Trying is about the moment. Training is about a vision. I see where my life is headed, and I want to organize life in a way that I'm becoming and I'm following and I'm pursuing Jesus Christ in my life. And that's what we want to set up as Christians, a life that reflects the goal, and the goal is to become more and more like Jesus. We need a vision for what God wants for us. And it's not simply a destination. It's a relationship. And that relationship, it includes failures at times. I think if we're just trying, failure ends trying, doesn't it? I failed. Okay, try again. I failed. Try again. And you find yourself in this pattern that's just frustrating, but when you recognize training, part of training is is an aspect of failure. But I realize the vision is the goal. It's not perfection. It's pursuing Christ. It's knowing God. And so failure actually moves me deeper into the vision. Not that we want to fail on purpose, but it moves us closer towards Christ. Do you realize what's forming you? And today we're going to look at an aspect of formation that I think in our culture is desperately needed and in the church is often ignored. And it's something that we are very unaware of. Our culture lacks self-awareness. I don't know if that means anything to you. Our culture deeply lacks being present and self-aware. And we're gonna discover that Self-awareness is something that's essential to following Christ. If you don't know where you are, you can't go where you need to go. And part of the life with Christ is defining what's the truth of where I am. And, And can I identify that? I mean, do I know what's influencing? Does my outside line up with my inside or do we have a divided heart? And the way I want to jump into this is ask this question and kind of think about This on a broad scale, what made Jesus angry? Jesus got angry. What made Jesus angry? Now, according to New Testament scholar Jonathan Pennington, the primary emotion of Jesus is compassion. We see in the Gospels, Jesus is merciful and compassionate in the way he moves towards people. But there are moments, there are times where Jesus gets angry And I don't know if you realize this, anger is a vulnerable emotion. Most of what we see today is rage. A lot of the anger you're seeing today is people who are afraid of what's going on in the world and they can't identify it, and so they have to control and yell and 
address the people around them, but what Jesus expressed is a passion for life. What made him angry at times was people who were not compassionate towards others. You notice that? When people didn't show forgiveness, when people didn't show patience and love and mercy, Jesus became angry. Jesus became angry when people were kept from God. Remember the children. Disciples are like, you guys don't matter, right? You guys kind of go sit over on the side. And Jesus says, no, man, let them come to me. Don't hinder the blind. Don't hinder the lepers. I want them to be with me. That's why I came. Jesus gets angry. Jesus gets angry when he sees us misrepresenting God. You remember the temple, right? Many of us think of that's the primary expression of anger. That Jesus comes in the temple and, and they were exchanging goods and services and, and it was blocking people from God and it was distorting people's understanding of God. And he came in and he turned over tables, not because he hated people, because he loved people and he loved God. But one of the things Jesus gets the most angry about is a divided heart. Jesus gets angry when we have a veneer of holiness without wholeness. When there's an external view of a Christ-like life, but internally we are unaware of what's motivating us and what's driving us. Now, we're going to go see this in Matthew 23, if you guys want to turn there. And I'd encourage you, you know, if you're going to look for a place to read this week, Matthew 23 is a series of warnings, seven warnings to be exact. And these warnings, they're not condemnation. When you read this, it's not saying, hey, you're going to be destroyed. Uh, I'm coming against you. Rather, it's a warning to say, hey, watch out. The path you're on, it leads not to life. It leads to death. And what we're going to find in the life of the religious leaders in Matthew 23 is they were not aware. They were aware in some ways, but there were other aspects. They were blind to the influences in their life, and they didn't realize these influences are forming them, and they're changing them, and they're being conformed to them instead of being conformed to God. But they thought they were representing God really well as they were misrepresenting God. Do you get that? All right, let's jump into it. Matthew 23, and we're going to pick it up in verse 25. Matthew 23, verse 25. Here we go. The word of the Lord, woe to you, woe to you scribes, <coughs> excuse me, and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they're full of greed and selfish indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside may also be clean. Verse 27, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs. Outwardly beautiful, but inwardly full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly, you appear righteous to others, but inward you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, pray for me. Let me pray for you. Father, we pause in your presence because you love to be with us. And so we acknowledge that we also want to be with you. But Father, help us to see what's keeping us from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what's the issue? Did you notice? Outside, beautiful, righteous. But there's an inconsistency between what you see on the outside and what's actually motivating you on the inside. And did you notice they're somewhat unaware? What does he call them? He says, blind. Now, they're not blind because they 
can't see. They're, they're blind because they think they can see, but they don't really recognize what's impacting their life. They think if you ask them, hey, we're doing a great job up here. I'm representing God tremendously. Jesus, you're the problem, right? They didn't like Jesus. Jesus is coming in addressing issues, and he's saying, guys, you're misrepresenting God. There are things that are going on in your heart that are showing up in your life, and they misrepresent God, and I'm angry. I'm angry because you have a holiness without a wholeness. And yet, they're angry at Jesus. Because Jesus, they thought, did not represent who God was really like. How did they find themselves in that kind of place? So unaware of what's going on in heart. Realize they didn't get there overnight. You know, a Pharisee didn't wake up one morning saying, in five years, I want to be a hypocrite. That's going to be great. No, listen, these are good people who wanted to glorify God. They wanted to love God. And if you ask them, I'm loving God and glorifying God. But somewhere along the way, their religious duty maybe, the way that people viewed them became more important and fear and shame and guilt and all of these things on the inside started to motivate them and direct them and they misrepresented God because they were not aware of what was going on beneath the surface and they couldn't see it. Now, how do we get to that place? Because realize this is not about Pharisees, this is about humans. What he's describing is part of the human condition. And the first thing we have to do is lay aside our defenses because everyone in here is going, I'm not the Pharisee, right? And that's our problem. We're unaware. Can we just for a minute say, what is it about that Jesus sees in these people that maybe could also be true in me? Okay, what we're going to do is let's rewind and go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, and what we're going to focus on is what happens when human beings stop trusting God. Because when the fall came in, we were in perfect relationship with God. God created all things good. That's where the gospel starts. Our desires are good. We are good. God has created us good, but then we failed to trust God. And instead of trusting God, we start trusting ourselves. Instead of trusting his definition of good and evil, I'm going to trust my definition of good and evil. Instead of trusting that God's got a good plan for my life, God, I got a better plan for my life. And when that lack of trust happened, what I want you to notice in Genesis 3, we can pick it up in verse 7, is what was introduced into their lives relationally with God, with themselves, and with others. You guys ready? So let's jump in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. And we're going to see three things. We're going to see the introduction of shame, fear, and guilt. That before this moment, they were naked and unashamed, Right? Like a two-year-old. Have you seen a two-year-old? Right. What do they do? Run into the room buck naked. No shame. Why? They have no contempt for themselves. They haven't learned to have contempt for who they are. They haven't learned to fear the people around us. But when you stop trusting God and God's presence is pulled away, you start fearing people. You start seeing yourself as, as less than, and we hide and we cover. So let's see verse 7, what happens. Then the eyes of both were open, and they went, oh my gosh, you can see me. I'm naked. I'm imperfect. I'm needy. When I say that phrase, I am needy, is that positive or negative? Realize to be needy is to be human, but we despise our neediness. I don't want to be needy, I wanna be God. 
I want to control things. I want to be in control. And I want people to see me as competent and capable. They hide from themselves. And they sewed fig leaves. I need to cover myself. And they made loincloths. The initial result of the fall is fear and shame. And shame, and what we're talking about is not a healthy form of shame. I think there's a healthy shame that recognizes I'm limited. I don't have all the answers, uh, but I do have some. You know, I'm not God and you're not God. I recognize that I'm limited, and that's healthy shame. But toxic shame is when we hate how we are made. And we think we have to defend ourselves. And what we do is we walk into a room and we want you to see our fig leaves before you see me. I want you to see the fig leaves that I'm bringing out. And all of us have different fig leaves. Listen, we all show up in different ways. Sometimes it's an extrovert, introvert. Sometimes it's with how we look. Sometimes it's with what we know. Sometimes it's with how we vote or the party we're a part of, the anger that we have, the contempt that we have. I got contempt for the right people. You got contempt for the wrong people. These are all ways we cover because we don't want to be seen. Do you see that? Sin comes into the world, a lack of trust in God. I now can't trust God and I can't trust you. And if you see me, I need to cover myself. And our culture has a million ways to find cover. How many products are out there that are not about the function of the product? Buy this and you will be beautiful. Men, buy this and you will be masculine. I mean, have this truck? Come on now. This is a man. This is what a man drives. This is what a man looks like. What are they selling you? It's a fig leaf. It's a truck. It can't cover you. But we believe it, right? Axe body spray. Women are going to love me. So popular. Most popular deodorant. Why? Because we're stupid. (laughs) Men, it's not going to work. It's a fig leaf. We want to cover ourselves. Shame comes into the story. And, And then in verse 11, it says, who told you were naked? Who, who exposed you? Who brought you to this place that you need to hide? Verse 8, jump back. And they heard the sound of God. So they're ashamed, they're hiding, they're covering. The Lord's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Verse 8. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Adam. We've hung out so often. Why are you hiding from me? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. I had shame and I hid. That question, where are you, is an important question. We need to ask ourselves every day, where am I today? Do you realize the things that are forming you? And then where are you with God? The question is not geographical, it's relational. It's saying, Adam, how are we doing What's going on between us, and do you see it? Because God sees it. It it doesn't work. It's like a two-year-old, again, that's hiding under the sheets, and they think because they're under the sheets, you have no clue where they are. That's the kind of the concept that we have. God sees us. The question is, are we going to be honest? Are we going to learn to have a whole heart? And part of a whole heart is a heart that doesn't need to hide because God already sees it, and so I need to simply Acknowledge it. Sin causes us to hide, but holiness is about honesty and completeness. It's about being seen. And knowing that the God that sees us wants to forgive us, redeem us, and cover us. Our God is good. 
The last thing that we see enter into this story is guilt. So we see shame, right? Fig leaves, we hide, fear, and then finally guilt. Verse 12, notice what happens. And the man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, it's her fault. Still do that today. She gave me the fruit. Get her. And what does the woman do? She does the same thing. We're the same. It says, the, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And notice what she says. It's not my fault. Not my fault. Listen, I, I'm fine. I was deceived. I, I know I did it, but it's not my, it's not, dude, what's happening? It's blame. I can't see myself because I'll have to recognize I'm limited, I'm flawed, I'm guilty, and I'm afraid. And so I want to cover, run, and hide. That's the human condition, guys. Come on. Can we be honest? That's just the human condition. And it's not about right and wrong. It's about being present, recognizing that's the truth of where we are. And it's a part also of life with God. And one of the best masks in the world is the religious mask. One of the most dangerous masks, one of the most dangerous leaves we can put on is an external righteousness, but internally we're deceiving ourselves. Outwardly, I, I want you to see this image of a great Christian, but inwardly, I'm not being honest about my lust and my anger. I'm not being honest about my doubts about God and my doubts about you and the goodness of God. I'm not, I'm not being honest about what I'm pursuing in life because I'm unaware. And the religious mask is a mask that keeps us unaware from who we are and what God wants to give us. It's the false self. It's a deceived self. Jesus diagnosed it this way. You ready for this word? Hypocrisy. Don't we love that word? No. We really don't. I mean, we love to use it on others, but it doesn't mean necessarily what you think it means. Often what we think it means is somebody who says something and does the other, right? And they know they're doing it. But hypocrisy, the word, if you guys want to put that up, oh, you did. Great job. You're ahead of me. It comes out of the Greek culture because the New Testament's written in Greek. And so the word in the Greek Hippocrates is a word that simply means an actor. And what actors did is they pretended to be someone else, and the way they did it was by putting on a mask. And they saw the world through the lens of the mask, and if you wear the mask long enough, you think the mask is you. And you begin to believe, this is who I am. And the reality is, Jesus says, you're unaware, you've worn this mask for so long, you've pretended before God and others for so long, you think this is you, you don't even know what's influencing you. A hypocrite is somebody who's pretending, but often is unaware of the way they're showing up in the world. Are you aware of what influences why you do what you do? We live in a culture of contempt, of slander, of tribalism and hatred towards this group and that group, you don't think that influences us? Of comparison, I have this, you have this. That, that motivates and it moves the heart to show up into the world in a certain way. What God is after is a whole heart. Now, understand, that's not a perfect heart. But it's a heart that on the inside and the outside, there is honesty and transparency and there is completeness. Understand, the Pharisees, did they know they had sin? Think about that. 
Did they think they sinned? Of course. They confessed. They said, hey, there's issues about me that need to change. The difference was they didn't know what was driving that sin. They didn't know what's, why, what is behind what I do, what I do. And they thought what was behind it was actually something good. But really, what does he say? It's dead. That's a frightening place to be. But God, through the Holy Spirit, can reveal what's motivating the human heart. And I want to show you this. The rest of the Old Testament, New Testament, this is what God's looking for. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for wholeness, completeness. We see this in the book of Numbers. You remember that story, 10 spies go out? Two come back and tell the truth. Why did two come back and tell the truth? One of them was Caleb and Joshua. And here's what Scripture says, Numbers 14, 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly. The inside is reflected on the outside. He's whole. David. Did David sin? Yeah. There's not a church in the United States that would hire David. Do you realize that? Adulterer? Murderer? He's not becoming an elder of the church. It's amazing who God uses and we won't. Right? What happened? Samuel comes to Jesse, his dad. Hey, you got some boys? Oh, I got some boys. Let me tell you, I got some men, right? He, they got a truck. They got Axe body spray. <laughs> Bringing it back. That's a callback. Look at them. And Samuel was like, wow. And you know what God was doing? No. 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 Are you serious? These guys? Have you seen these guys? Jesse, you got anyone else? Well, there's this one. If he's out in the field, go get him. And Samuel sees him and God says, this this is him. This is him. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, we find this. But the Lord said, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the, the Lord is looking at the heart. David is a man after God's heart because David knows what he needs. Let me say that again. David is a man after God's heart, not because he didn't sin and didn't blow up his life and blow up his marriage and his kids. He did. But in the end, he knew what he needed. He needed God. And he wasn't afraid or ashamed or allow guilt to keep him from God. That's the human condition. It's running to God. And so what's God looking for? 2 Chronicles 16.9. You probably, some of you know this. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose hearts, you guys can go there, you can turn to that slide if you don't mind. There we go. You find it? No. Okay, maybe I didn't put it in there. That's okay. It says, whose hearts are blameless towards him. And then we come to Deuteronomy 6, which is called the Shema, one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What does it mean that God is one? It means he's whole. Did you notice that? He's complete. His outside and his inside are congruent. And what does God want for us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to be whole as I am whole. What's the Sermon on the Mount? Come to Jesus. What's Jesus talking about? Hey, you guys, stop sinning. Stop committing adultery. I don't have any adultery in me. Yeah, Jason, but you got some issues, man. I see the lust. Outwardly, you think you're right, but inwardly, there's something I need to address. There's fear. 
you don't trust that I have your best interest in mind, so you need to go get what you need the way you need to get it instead of trusting me. Outwardly, hey, I love everyone, but inwardly, there is bitterness in dead men's bones. Are we deceiving ourselves if we're not acknowledging what's going on the inside? And God does, he knows what's going on the inside. The question is, are you willing to bring it to him? Because here's the solution we're going to look at. It's awareness. Are you aware? Adam, where are you? That's awareness. Do you know where you are? And then second, do you acknowledge it or do you hide it? Do you acknowledge it to God? And then do you learn how to look at it with God? That's attachment. Awareness. Do you see yourself? Do you name it? And listen, some of you, you got to name it not just before God. You got to find someone else to name it with before people. And then what you got to do is with God, you got to look at it together. And he's got to show up in love and mercy and say, hey, Jason, I meet you there. I cover that. I see you. I love you. I still want you. That heals the heart. That's what God is after. What was keeping the Pharisees from seeing this? Notice verse 27 again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Your whitewashed tombs, outwardly beautiful, but inwardly full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but inward are full of hypocrisy. You care more about the outside than what's true on the inside. And you think it's working. We're being conformed to this idea that we're presenting this self and it's really me, but it's not. He wants to get beneath that. How do we do that? Here's the solution. It's called wholehearted confession. It's called wholehearted confession. And let me say something. It takes tremendous courage to be honest. In a world where people are not honest and they slander and there's bitterness and there's hiding, in a world where everybody's hiding, do you know how hard it is to be honest? And to say, hey, this is me, to be the two-year-old that runs in the room naked and, hey, this is me, this is my flaws. David shows us how. The Psalms show us how. The Psalms are honest more than anything else. Sometimes they're not true. Let me pause on that. Sometimes what the psalmist says is not just like Job. You know, there's times where Job is praying to God. What he's saying isn't true, but it's true for what he thinks is going on. He's being honest. God, this is what life looks like from my perspective. You have abandoned me. God, you are bad. That's what happens in the psalm. They're not necessarily saying something true theologically. They're saying something true relationally. And they're saying, God, I need to meet you there. Would you look at it with me? Does that make sense? You guys with me on that? So let's read just quickly Psalm 51, and we're going to see awareness, and I want you to notice how, how David knows he needs to be made whole. Awareness, and then he acknowledges it, and then with God, he attaches to God. God, can we look at this together? And he finds God loves him, covers him, cares for him. It heals the human heart. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. David knows God. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. I'm seeing myself. My sin is before you, against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So, God, you're justified in your words. You're blameless in your judgment. 
Behold, I was born, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, God, you want wholeness, truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. And so, Father, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let these bones you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Hear this, create in me, God, a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit, a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Father, take not your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then jump down to verse 17, the sacrifice of God. What God wants is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. He wants us to be honest. Do you know that verse, to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect in Matthew? We often think that means be sinless, but it means be complete, be whole as God is whole. May the inside, now listen, we're not gonna show up perfectly in the world. There's gonna be ugliness on the inside, but what he's saying is you gotta acknowledge it on the outside. Are you willing to be honest about what's going on in your life? To get there, guys, the first place you gotta go to is awareness. You can't name what you do not know. You can't name. How is fear influencing you today? We have politicians that just preach fear every moment of the day. If if you're on political news, you're gonna be afraid. Anxiety, anyone got anxiety? Okay, what are you listening to? Shame. Do you know the voice of condemnation and shame? Satan is an accuser. He wants to condemn you. Often it shows up as the voice of shame. Guilt. Instead of addressing what I've done, I have to hide and I have to cover. Do we know how to acknowledge and then do we know how to attach with God and say, God, can we look at this together? And I recognize through Jesus, you cover me and you heal me. And that's the process of change, guys. It's not about trying harder. It's about going into training. It's about becoming the kind of person that walks with God daily. It becomes a woman after God's own heart, which is a woman that knows she needs God and she runs after God even when things aren't right in the world. She exposes her heart to God and says, God, I need you. Here's a resource for you that I think is helpful. It's called Lectio 365. Lectio 365. What Lectio 365 does is in the morning, it teaches you how to pray scripture But at night, it teaches you how to reflect on your day with God. It teaches you how to go, God, not to judge my day. That's what we love to do. Boy, you did that wrong. Screwed that up. That doesn't help. But attaching to God, looking at your day together and saying, what happened there? God, God, what what was that about? Why did I just yell at my wife, you know? Have, nobody? Okay, thanks. Why am I wearing Axe body spray? You like that? What's, what's going on, God? And what we do is, what do we do? We go to trying. I got to change. I got to change. I got to change. And we don't sit in the place where we're looking at it with God and say, God, what's going on? What's going on? Where am I? And, you know, God's going to reveal that. And you need someone else in your life next to you and says, hey, Jason, I, I love you enough to tell you what I see because I'm blind to it. Do you see the process? 
God is calling us to a new life, a new life with him, and it's a life of wholeness and completeness because he is good and he alone can cover us. Hey, this morning we're gonna celebrate communion. If you didn't grab the elements when you came in, I wanna encourage you to do that. They're available up front and they're also available in the back. And so as we come up and we grab the elements and we hold them together, it's a time to reflect. What are the things we are afraid to disclose? Are we walking with a whole heart before God? Are we simply trying to manage behavior without changing the environment that we're in? You can't change your behavior if you don't change what you're listening to and who you're around and what's influencing you. If we're unaware of that, then then our behavior on the outside is not going to reflect who God wants us to be on the inside. So as we hold those elements together, let's bring them to the Father. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to search us. And in that place of forgiveness and grace, let's, let's hear his voice together. Father, I thank you that you are here, and I'm so grateful that we are here. And I thank you, Father, that you long to be with your children. And when we come to you broken and hurting and afraid or ashamed, you do not despise our weakness. Father, you are attracted and drawn to our weaknesses so that the power of Jesus Christ might be displayed in us. Father, where have the lies of the enemy, where has the lies of our culture, even the lies we've carried within our own faith or the way we think we need to show up, where have they blocked us out from simply being with you and allowing you to change us? Father, would you reveal those things that we need to acknowledge? to acknowledge before you right now a holy, good, and loving Father. And then, (laughs) Father, would you give us the grace to acknowledge that before someone else, that we might, maybe for the first time for some of us today, would be seen. And in being seen, we'd be fully known because we're no longer hiding or covering. But this is where I am today. Father, would you change us as you've forgiven us through Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit, fill us and empower us to walk this life, this new life with Christ together. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, he gave thanks and he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. Let us receive it together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup and he said, this cup, it represents the new covenant that is now established in my blood. As often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death 
until he returns. Please stand with me. I want to invite, we have our prayer team that are here today. If you know, you just need to acknowledge. Or maybe even to say, Father, would you make me aware? They're available during the service. They're also available after the service. Prayer team, would you guys come forward? And it's, it's good to be together today.